The book of Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Turn to it, please. The book of Malachi. And I want to read verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3. From the prophecy of Malachi. Chapter 3, 1 through 7. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. And he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as, and as in former years. Then I'll draw near to you for judgment, and I will be swift witness the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? I was talking with some friends not long ago, and by the way, leave this open here. I want to talk I want to read some more here in just a moment. We were talking about, we were just kind of reminiscing when you, when you get close to your 55th birthday, I guess you sit around and uh, old guys sit around and talk, you know, about how it used to be. And uh, somebody asked me in this uh, conversation, if you had it all to do over again, would, what would you change? What would you do differently? Somebody asked me if I'd, I would preach, if I'd still be a preacher. Well, actually, uh, being a preacher is not something I have chosen. It's something for which I am chosen. I, I surrendered to preach when I was 18 years old. I've never done anything else. I, I've often asked myself, does the decision a, an 18-year-old teenager make bind him for life? I don't suppose there is any pastor who would ever say that, that it turned out like they thought it would. I'm, I, I kind of identify with Jeremiah. He said that God seduced him 
What he meant was that God talked him into be a, being a prophet without telling him what to expect. <laughs> I think probably it's a good thing <laughs> that I didn't know some of the things that I know now when I surrender to preach. <laughs> and some people that I know now. <laughs> Ed Lee and I were talking the other night, and he said that he saw a survey one time where some, a man interviewed a lot of older people and asked them what they would change if they could go back and do it over again. You know what was the most common answer? No, it wasn't that they'd marry somebody differently. It was that they would take more risks. And many of them said, I, I thought that I could do this, and I wanted to do it, but I didn't have a ner enough nerve to try it. He said, the, the majority said, if we could go back and do it over again, they would take more risk. Would you marry the same person? Would you still do the same thing that you're doing now in, in your business? Um, what would you do differently? And how would you change and I suppose that all of us feel a little bit like that we have been somewhat disappointed in life. I know that I would change some of the things that I've done as a pastor and as a parent. I was looking back over some old sermons I preached when I first started out, most horrible things I've ever read. I mean, where did I get that theology? And I've had to ask myself as I, have, uh, promote, as I have approached this 55th birthday, you know, uh, do I have the same zeal that I used to have? The same enthusiasm? Has familiarity with God bred complacency with me? Can I still walk down the street and see people and wonder if they're to heaven or to hell? How do I, do I still... Am I still concerned about the way I act and the way I think? What is different about me from the beginning? That was what these people in the days of Malachi were having to answer. Malachi the prophet prophesied at 452 B.C., about a hundred years after they had returned from exile. And they lived in exile, dreaming of the day when they could come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and reinstitute the sacrifices and return the glory. And so when they got back to Jerusalem, they got busy and they rebuilt the temple and they reinstituted the sacrifices and they waited for God to return the glory. And God didn't come. And they were disappointed. It wasn't what they thought it would be, what they dreamed it would be out in exile. And they were disappointed with God. Sound like somebody you know? Your Christian life hasn't turned out like you thought it would, like you dreamed it would, like the preacher said it would. You thought it would be just one joy ride through life, one blessing of God heaped upon another blessing of God. But it hadn't turned out that way. And you're somewhat disappointed. You've seen enough cruelty and pain and injury in life, injustice, that it's disappointed you. That's what they felt. And so they said, in essence, if God is not serious, if He doesn't take us serious as we've rebuilt this temple, we're not going to take God serious. Oh, they went about their daily 
ritual. They went about their daily worship, but their heart wasn't in it. If God doesn't take us seriously, we won't take Him seriously. And their heart wasn't there. And they went through the motions, disappointed with God. And Malachi was raised up as a prophet to call these people back to him, to call them back to turn. That's the key word. There are two or three things I want you to consider. One is, is that we can keep up the mechanics of religion and the spirit or the spiritual slide. We can keep up the mechanics and often do, but there's no heart in it. That's what Jesus meant when he said, be careful when you pray. He didn't say, be careful how you pray. He didn't even say, be careful that you pray. He said, be careful when you pray. There are no safe places. For even in the mechanics of prayer, we can, we can forget about God. Even going through the mechanics of prayer, it can become very mechanistic and professional. Most of us are professionals, veterans. Well, there are a few rookies here that just now have come to the Lord, they're on fire, but most of us here have been Christians most of our lives, and some of us have long lived a long time. I mean, we've been, we can close our eyes and know what's next. We, we're, we go through the mechanics, and we're real good at the mechanics, and all the time while we're going through the mechanics, veterans, professionals, it becomes mechanistic and professional. That's what happened. And so Malachi was this prophet who just went through the land, kind of a religious Socrates, asking questions. He didn't really stand up and proclaim a mighty sermon. He just went around asking questions like Socrates in the streets. Look at some of the questions from this. All begin with the word how. Verse 2, verse 2 of chapter 1. How hast thou loved us? I mean, they were so insensitive to God they didn't even recognize that He loved them. They become so mechanistic in their religion, they didn't, even, they didn't even sense this intimacy that God was seeking to establish. Verse 6, How have we despised thy name? Verse 7, How have we defiled thee? This is their response, you know. Verse 17, How have we wearied him? That's chapter 2, verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 7. How shall we return? Verse 8. How have we robbed thee? Verse 13. How have we spoken against thee? Now I want you to understand what's happening here. These people are away from God and they didn't even know it. These people were away from God and they didn't show it. Because being away from God is not a matter of the physical. I mean, you can be carrying on the mechanics of religion. You can be going through the motions week after week after week. And everybody sees you there and they just, you know, looking at you say, Man, that person is really faithful and really loves the Lord and is really serving God because being away from God is not something physical. You can be away from God, be going through the motions all along. That's what happened to Moses. When he came down from the mountain, his face was shining, so they put a veil over his face. People couldn't stand to look at him. He was glistening, glowing. There was this uh, a glow from his face. But if you read on in the life of Moses, he slipped away from God. 
and the, and the glow left his face. And so he kept the veil on, not to keep his face from shining, but to keep people from recognizing that it didn't shine. And sometimes we go through the motions because that's the way we've learned to fool folks. You can be away from God and not show it physically. God came up to me one time, true story. He said, you know what, our church needs revival. We need revival. He'd just gotten back from some conference, kind of a charismatic conference. He said, man, we need to inject a little more life into our services. We need to be able to raise our hands and shout hallelujah and sing these rousing songs, etc. We need revival. Let me tell you something. When God told these people to straighten up, He didn't say anything about changing their form of worship. They knew how to worship. It wasn't a matter of changing their form of worship. It wasn't a matter of getting a new calendar. It wasn't a matter of getting more activities involved in their life. Let me tell you what they needed. Not a new form of worship. They needed a new heart. Their heart was away from God. There's a second thing to consider is this is that sometimes we go through these motions, but we don't change. Now, I don't know, I'm not a nuclear scientist, but I can pick up on that, that they deserve to be. If they got what they deserve, God would consume the sons of Jacob who are going through the, me the, the mechanics of professional worship every Sunday, every Sabbath. Now what does he mean when he refers to the sons of Jacob? You say, well, that means he's referring to the people of God. No, that term is the sons of Abraham. You might, you, what do you know about Jacob? Well, let me, let, me, let me remind you of something about Jacob. He was a deceiver. That's what his name was. A deceiver. He was full of deceit and deception. He cheated his brother out of his birthright. Then he cheated his brother out of his blessing. You know that story, don't you? Billy Sunday used to say that Jacob was so crooked he could sleep on a corkscrew. I mean, he was, he was really a, 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 an ingenuous, dishonest, deceitful man. Now, if, if, if the sons of Jacob is a reference to the people who go through the mechanics of religion, but their heart is far from, he's talking about many of us. He's saying, now, we are so deceitful, we are deceptive, we know make it look like that we're close to God. And we've learned the right uh, vocabulary, we've got the verbiage, and we know what to do as far as the mechanics and all of it is like a, like, a, like a deception. It's in order to deceive, not just to deceive others. That's called hypocrisy. But it's a way of deceiving ourselves. You need to change, he said, in the heart. You remember when Joshua stood before his people and he said, Now God said to put away the strange gods your fathers had in Egypt. The significant thing about that is these people never been to Egypt. Everybody had been to Egypt already died off. He said, put away the strange gods that your fathers had in Egypt. Where did they get these strange gods? Their parents handed them down to them. Sure is hard to get rid of the strange gods our forefathers had in Egypt. It sure is hard to change, isn't it? 
It's hard to put away old habits. It's, it's hard to give up old desires. It's hard to come to the place where we can say, I know that this stuff of my life is not what it ought to be. I need to be right with God. Here's my heart. It's hard to let that go. I want you to let your eyes look down to the last three words of the book of Malachi. With, say it with me, with a curse. You know what the first three words of the Bible are? It's not in the beginning. It's in beginning God. Now, when you say the first three words of the Bible, in beginning God, you, you just get this optimism. I mean, it starts out with God. And, and, and there's such hope in those words, in beginning God. And, and as you read through the, the Old Testament, you run across such men as Abraham and Moses and the law and you get into these stories of these wonderful prophets, and you think to yourself, it's just better and better and better. And then you discover that you're, it's not getting any better. My Sunday school class has been studying the book of Second, First and Second Kings, and we've just, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's appalling, it's disturbing how you can see how God's people just get worse and worse and God sends nations against them and God sends judgments against them and then he raises up these wonderful people to call them back to himself and God just keeps kneading like dough his people and working with his people and they just keep getting worse and worse. Now the last three words of Malachi, Malachi by the way is the last message of God before the lights go out. And Malachi prophets before that, prophesies before that period of 400 years of silence. He's telling it just like it happened when the, before the lights went out. And if you want to know what happens now with this 400 years of silence, you know what Malachi is doing? He's saying, in essence, what happened to these hundreds of years that God has been working with His people? They're not getting any better. And the end result is here, a curse. Let me ask you a question. Are you any better off as far as a spiritual person than you were the day you got saved? Are you any better off? Have you grown any at all? Are you any nearer to this holiness that Mark has sung about? Are you any nearer to that today than you were five years ago? Are you any better? Are you any nearer to being what you said you would be than you were ten years ago? Are you? And we've come a long way in this country. Yeah, we've come a long way in this country. But it is disturbing when you read of the foundation of our nation and read the local newspaper, the morning newspaper, the Dallas Morning News. We've not progressed far except away from God. And it's been 2,000 years since the church was established and we're still trying to be the New Testament church. And we're less the New Testament church perhaps now than we've ever been. It sure is hard to change, isn't it? One last thought, please. God said, I haven't changed. Behold, I, the Lord, change not. So you need to come to me.
you need to come to me. Somebody said not, not long ago, it said that the problem in our country was not that we have too many people to the left of center or to the right of center. The problem in our country is we don't have a center. Yes, we do. We do have a center. There is a, a point of non-departure. There is a constant in this world. There is a place for all of us where we can find security and hope. There is a place that never changes, and that's dear to the heart of God. I don't change. He's talking about His immutability. He's talking about His faithfulness. If you want something that changes not, if you want a ground of, of, of uh, constancy, if you want something on which you can base the security of your life, God says, come to me. Now, I have a hard time with some of the, the change. Call me a, call me a old fogey, call me a prude if you want to. Some often do. <laughs> but I, I'm having a problem with some of the things that are happening. I mean, I still, I think home cooking is much better than McDonald's. Huh. If the manager of McDonald's is here, I'm in heat of trouble. If he's watching on TV. <laughs> but I, 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 I'm not really for this, um, let's just all run down and get a fast food every day. I'm not quite, I'm not really ready for some of the stuff I hear on television. Some of the language I hear. Call me, a, call me an old fogey if you like, but let me tell you something. I'm not, I'm not, I hear people tell me a lot, I say, well, now that's the way people talk now, using those four-letter words. I'm not ready for that. And, and I'll look on television, and 98% of all the love scenes on television are illicit and immoral. I, I'm, I'm not prepared to take that yet. And I grew up in a day back, you know, when, when a person's word meant something. I mean, you didn't have to have 15 different kinds of, of uh, legal documents to secure what you were saying. I mean, we just said, it, this is the way it is, and that's the way it was. I'm not ready for some of the change. You remember Alice in Wonderland, topsy-turvy land, where everything was turned upside down? Uh, there, there's, some, there's some flexibility that all of us need, but there's some inflexibility that some of us need. I've been reading through the book of 1 Timothy, and one of the things that impresses me about 1 Timothy is that, that the fact of how much Paul encouraged Timothy to hang on to those unchanging things. He said, whatever your grandmother and your mother taught you, hang on to that. And Karl Barth, the great theologian, was asked, where did you get this theology that's so radical and different and unique and powerful? Where did you get this theology of grace? He said, my mother taught it to me. And you turn over to 1 John, that marvelous epistle, and John says that the Antichrist is coming and what you've learned from the beginning you need to hold on to and not turn loose. And Jeremiah said, you need to return to the ancient past. And on your way through life, you need to make some uh, nail some stakes down in the ground so you can know how to get back to where you started. God said, you've drifted away from me and you've become a person that you ought not to be. Now you need to get back to me. Return. Am I talking to anybody that can relate to that? I think we all love stories of return. There's something intriguing about how somebody can come back again. There was this 
migrant worker by the name of Armando Minoza, Minoza, Armando Minoza. He's picking tomatoes down in Lake Worth, Florida. And all of a sudden, the, mig- the uh, uh, immigration authorities swept down upon them and demanded their papers. And Armando had lost his billfold. He was a legalized citizen. He, he was born in Harlingen, Texas. He grew up in Texas, but he didn't have his papers. And so these immigration authorities put him in a, in a bus, took him to Miami, got him on a plane with 10 others, and took him to the nearest point in Mexico, a little point off of the, uh, off an island uh, near Mexico City. And they dumped him off with 12,000 miles away from home, $10 in his pocket. And the most amazing odyssey began. He began to walk and work his way to Mexico City, driven by the thought he may never see his mother again. When he got to Mexico City, after weeks and weeks of traveling and walking and working, he traveled across the city, nearly froze to death at night, sleeping on the streets. When he got across the city, 600 miles away was Metamoros, the nearest town to Harlingen where he grew up. He started working and walking his way to Metamoros. Two months later, he got on the phone in in Metamoros, called Harlingen his home. His sister, who was a 16-year-old high school senior, answered the telephone. She brought over to Matamoris his papers, and he was home. He walked in the house months after he'd begun this odyssey, and his mother was crying, and he was crying. He said, don't cry, mother. I'm back. Now, anybody but the hard-hearted and the cold-hearted would be moved story like that. There's something like that that moves all of us the story of how people get back. And the reason why it moves us all is because all of us down deep inside have this yearning to return to our roots. Yeah, don't ever go through Monday, Texas without giving a salute. I was up up at Monday yesterday. I was at Monday on Saturday. (laughs) My, uh, My wife said, do you want to go by the cemetery? I said, no, I don't. I just, it makes me sad. And that little old dried up town has absolutely no meaning to any of you but to me. It's where I began. It's where I began. And nothing is, the, and nowhere is there such a, a need to get back to our roots than, than when we get away from God. When we drift away from God, when we're away from Him, we don't feel comfortable, do we? When you get away from God, you don't feel comfortable. You're not comfortable with yourself and you're not comfortable with others. You're a miserable person when you get away from God. Am I not telling the truth? There's something about any return that moves the deepest emotions in us. A salmon is more than a fish. They mystify us, intrigue us, Fascinate us. A salmon can vault six feet into the air. They can climb a waterfall. When I was traveling in the Northwest, we'd go down to those locks where those great salmon working their way back, leaping up these locks, vaulting into the air. Magnificent, huge creatures. The most amazing thing about the salmon is, is that after they swim in the ocean, all of a sudden, boom, suddenly, they're right back at the place where they were spawned. 
1985 in the little town of Newton. They had the greatest reunion in the history of the world. 4,000 alumni converged on the little city of Newton, Kansas, representing 4,000 students, 75 years of classes, and they caught, captured the imagination of the nation. Why? Because they all came back. And who can forget on February 1973, if you were alive and well, seeing those men prisoners of war, gaunt and drawn and dignified, stepped down off that plane at Clark Air Base in the Philippines to the embrace of their wives and children they had not seen in years, and everybody choked back the emotion of seeing something moving like that, somebody's back home. Now if a fish or an alumnus or a prisoner of war can get back home. Can you get back to God? Yeah, you can. The door's open on the other end. Return to me. I've not changed. If you're old enough to remember John Denver and those ballads he sings, don't, you're not too hot now on the scene, but man, I used to love it. He's got that one. It goes like this. There's a storm across the valley. Clouds are rolling in. The afternoon lies heavy on his shoulders. There's a truck out on the four lane a mile or more away and the whining of its wheels just makes it colder. He's an hour away from riding on your prayers up in the sky. Ten days on the road are barely gone. There's a fire softly burning. Uppers on the stove. It's the light in your eyes that makes him warm. Oh, it's good to be back home again. Sometimes this old farm seems like a long lost friend. And yes, hey, it's good to be back home again. Have you changed? Have you gotten away from God? It sure is good. Get back home again. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, let these words be words that pierce our heart and bring about change that needs to be made. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Look here. Mark, I changed that invitation on you. Did you get that one? I want to ask you right now to consider these invitations. You are created in the image of God. You're here because God planned for you to be. Now, we can get away from God. You're, you, you were meant to be the expression of His personality, the extension of His presence, the exhibition of His power. Maybe you've never given your heart to Christ. 
I want you to come this morning. This is the day that, that you should come to give your heart to Christ. You'll never be comfortable with yourself till you do. Maybe you've gotten away from God. Why don't you come back? The door's open. Fire's softly burning. The arms of God are extended. Or maybe you need to place your life in the church to be part of His family. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.